Dean Hern Chen, and you're listening to Southeast Asia, etc. This is a podcast about current events happening around the region, and I started it because I wanted my colleagues to essentially just explain some things to me. This episode is on Cambodia. This Sunday will be Cambodia's national elections. Currently, Hun Sen is the prime minister of the country, and he has been for more than 30 years. His party, the CPP, will go up against 19 smaller political parties to fight for parliamentary seats. But what's going to be missing from the ballot will be the Cambodian National Rescue Party, the CNRP. This is the country's main opposition party, and it was headed by Sam Ranzi and Kem Saka. In the last election in 2013, the CNRP got 44% of parliamentary seats, which was quite a surprise, actually. At the time, I was working at the Cambodia Daily. That's a English-language newspaper in Phnom Penh, and it has since been shut down. Um, and it was a very exciting period to witness and to cover as a reporter. But since then, the climate in the country has gotten worse. In terms of politics, uh, Sam Renzi has since fled the country. Opposition lawmakers were targeted. And finally, most importantly, Kem Saka, the remaining leader of the CNRP, was arrested last year and charged with treason. By the end of 2017, the CNRP was dissolved by the Supreme Court. Outside of politics, it really hasn't been great either. Most importantly, Kem Lay, a political commentator uh, who was very critical towards the ruling party over the radio waves, he was assassinated in 2016. Independent news outlets since then has been shuttered, so Cambodia Daily was one of them. Currently, there are two Cambodian reporters in jail for espionage, while two of my former colleagues were charged with incitement simply because they were doing their jobs reporting. So for this episode, I'm going to be speaking with Abby Seif about these last couple of years and what Sunday's election means. Abby and I used to work at The Daily before she went to the rival newspaper, the Phnom Penh Post, and now she's a freelance reporter based in Phnom Penh. Politics was sort of a natural progression for anyone who was working on daily news at the Daily or the Post at that time because it was a relatively vibrant political scene. Um, and when I was working at the Daily, um, it got quite interesting around the 2012 commune elections. So at the at that time, the main opposition party was the Sam Rainsy party, but Kem Soka had his own party called the Human Rights Party, which did reasonably well in the 2012 commune election. And for years, the two parties had sort of discussed merging, and there were a lot of, let's say, uh, egos that maybe got mm-hmm. in the way. Um, but I think when they saw how well they did combined in that election, it was really an impetus for them to merge as a party in order to contest the 2013 election. So when the two parties merged in 2012 after the commune election, I think it was the first time in a long time that the opposition really had this kind of power. Like a fighting Um, shot. 
Yeah. And sort of surprised by how vibrant, I guess, the reporting opportunities were here in Cambodia. You know, I I was pretty young when I went there. I was 24 and I had worked at a magazine before, but never a newspaper. And so I think I just had absolutely zero context for what was normal and not normal. Mm -hmm. Um, But without a doubt, I mean, within a year, I was reporting on the Khmer Rouge Tribunal. I was reporting on um, corruption, um, things happening with government officials. I was interviewing important people. um, And it suddenly became very, very hard to go back to the U.S. and envision. (laughs) And the longer you stay, the more um, intimately you come to know these stories and the country and the people. so what was your experience when you were covering the 2013 national elections? It was it was pretty extraordinary. Um, it was a very exciting election to cover. It was a very fun election. Um, the campaigning was incredibly vigorous. You just saw thousands and thousands of people on the street during the campaign period. Um, and we'd have these trucks driving by and blaring music and dancing. And the, the CPP has always you know, had a very wealthy party apparatus, so they have the celebrities and the comedians and whatnot. Um, but the CNRP it had these huge numbers of people in the street. And then right in the middle of all of this, it was just, I think, less than two weeks before the election, Sam Rainsy was given a royal pardon and he returned mm-hmm. to Cambodia. And that was, uh, that was a pretty extraordinary thing to witness. Um, I, think you were probably there that day at the mm-hmm. airport um, when he came back when and he came back it was like and a hero's return very much a hero's return <laughs> and, he was five uh, hours late to his own rally <laughs> you know that the the streets from the airport to the center of Phnom Penh I think it's three or four miles I mean just covered with people yeah it was a it was a really remarkable thing this seemed like a truly beloved figure um and it was surprising because I have to assume that the CPP did not realize how well the CNRP would do in the election. It just doesn't make sense to me that they would have let Sam Rainsy have that kind of photo op. Yeah. And you've been living in Cambodia off and on since then. So have you seen sort of that same sort of energy in Phnom Penh in recent months in the lead up to this current election that's on July 29th? This election is an entirely different kettle of fish. Um, Entirely different what? Kettle of fish. (laughs) (laughs) I think in both the 2012 and 2013 commune and national elections, you really had a a semblance of a democratic process. And um, I was, you know, following an opposition politician in 2012. And you know, they were watchdogs for the government and there was a lot of participation by some very excellent Cambodian monitoring groups and international monitors. And this year, I think, is is very different. Um, they just started the campaign period mm-hmm. um, over the weekend. And, you know, the CPP is out there. They have their guys out there and their hats and T-shirts and their big buses and everything. Um, there are 20 parties contesting this election, but the opposition... 20 parties? There. Yeah. Oh, but CNRP is not there. It's a very vibrant democracy. This is what (laughs) the government keeps pointing to. Um, But the CNRP was dissolved last year. And these small parties, um, you know, they 
they don't have the resources or they don't have the wherewithal to to stage that kind of campaign by any yeah. extent. And I think I think there isn't sort of like that name brand too. Yeah, there's not that name brand recognition. And I think there may be a certain wariness among the parties, particularly the more independent of the parties. I think they don't really know exactly how to tread. You know, they're trying to contest this election. They're trying to say whether or not the CNRP is here, we are here and we want to be a, a legitimate party. Um, but I think they're the ones that can face all the problems that the CNRP has been facing. And so there's a concern among them and among their would-be supporters. Do you think voters are more afraid this time to sort of vote for any other party outside of the ruling party, the CPP? Or do you think that there's always been sort of a culture of fear? That's a good question. And it's hard to say if they're afraid to vote for other parties. Um, But what people are certainly afraid to do is not vote because there's been a huge government campaign Mm. urging people to vote. The government is very keen that... um, its legitimacy is upheld, and the way that it can do that is by pointing to a high voter turnout. Mm. The CNRP, meanwhile, though they've been disbanded, they've been calling for a big boycott. They have a whole campaign called the Clean Finger Campaign. So, you know, don't go to the polling station, don't get your finger inked as proof that you voted. And you have government officials saying things like, you know, you'll be treasonous, you'll be a rebel mm. if you don't vote. You have them threatening to go after people who really innocuous things like holding a sign on Facebook saying I do not want to vote because there's no party I support so like they would they've charged these people or they've Um, targeted them or they've targeted them they've they've said publicly they want to arrest them they're looking for them they said they want to um that's such an overkill yeah yeah I mean they're really scaring people into going to the polling station but that said you know, the one place you do have privacy is when you get into that polling booth. Mm. So one would hope. One would hope. I think we can still say that that's the case. Um, But the question is, are you so afraid at that point that you just vote for CPP? I've heard from a lot of people that they're planning to spoil the ballot, draw access over everything, um, basically make a a ballot that won't count because they don't support the parties. And then, you know, it's quite possible that CNRP shares will get distributed somewhat among some of these smaller parties, particularly um, Grassroots Democracy Party. Grassroots Democracy Party. Yeah. So Grassroots Democracy Party was started by Kim Lai, who was assassinated two years ago. Mm -hmm. They're currently run by Yang Sang Koma, who's a really well-respected agronomist that I think a lot of us have interviewed over the years but you know they're a tiny party they don't have you know how many people in the countryside have heard of them i think they're they're trying you mentioned kem lay's assassination is that two years ago now yeah it was july 16th oh my gosh how much of a blow was his assassination to I guess his supporters or his listeners, because he was a political analyst who had quite an audience. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. And I wonder what sort of a role Kemley might have played in an election like this, where you don't have the opposition anymore. He did have a voice that was very, very, very widely regarded and listened to throughout the country. 
he's the type of person that could go on the air and say, there's no CNRP, but I want you to vote for XYZ. And that would have an impact. Um, so yeah, I, I think from that standpoint, it could have an impact. Mm-hmm. I think he was killed as a means of silencing. silencing criticism, creating a chilling effect. And while it didn't happen immediately, you can see that that's sort of what's been happening slowly and then faster over the past two years. In what sense? Well, particularly since the commune election, when, again, the CNRP did quite well, the ruling party went down a lot, um, perhaps not as much as some people thought they would. In terms of seats? In in terms of seats across the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, Commune elections really are harbingers for national elections. Um, Mm -hmm. And very quickly after the commune election, I think, is when you started to see a real shift in sort of the modus operandi in Cambodia. That's around the time that um, our colleagues Zomber and Pia got charged with incitement. Mm -hmm. So they talked to them ahead of the election. They weren't charged until after. As we all know, that's a a pretty normal series of stories to be doing around an election. Yeah, sort of which commune is in favor of which party. Sure, Um, we've all done that. And And then they shut down all the radio stations. Mm Gave the Cambodia Daily Tax Bill. Six point four million. Yep. Tax bill. Yeah. Then they um, arrested Kim Sokha, of course. The yeah. Biggest thing. They um, dissolved the opposition, and not only did they dissolve the opposition, they reallocated the seats, which is powerful for a lot of reasons. It means at the commune level, almost all the local government is now held by CPP. Mm. And you think of how influential local government is in people's lives and what that means for a national election when you have a local government telling you, encouraging you to vote one way or another. Um, It also kind of sends a message that like your vote that you had cast last year is moot now. Mm. It doesn't matter because... Yeah, it sort of un- undermines the entire idea of, of voting. Um, the other thing is the way that the Cambodian Senate works. It's not it's not direct election. It's election by commune council. So when they took all the communes, it means that they're guaranteed that during the Senate election, they're going to get all the Senate seats. Mm-hmm. Um, then they redistributed the parliamentary seats. Again, mm-hmm. a bit of a moot point since they had the majority at they already can pass all the walks they want. But yeah, it means that they are the only game in town. Yeah, so all of that happens. Uh, they arrested Eun Chin and Yang Sotiran from RFA. Mm-hmm. They were charged with espionage, which is the wow. first time that journalists have been charged with that. So it's just been this whole very quickly one after another. Sort of like a tumbling of blocks here. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. And then... Um, that has absolutely had an impact on people because at the same time that they're doing this, they're also going after a lot of individuals. So, so just, it's not just journalism and civil society. No, it's you know or somebody opposition. writes. Yeah, exactly. So it's like somebody writes a message on their Facebook complaining about the CPP. Somebody, um, one woman threw a shoe at a sign of the CPP. They charged her with incitement or defamation, something like that. She fled to Thailand, mm. sought refugee status, received it, and then the Thai authorities found her, arrested her, and deported her deported back to Cambodia. Anyway, yeah. and she was sentenced to two years in prison. So it's a lot of these... Um, I mean, it shows such great insecurity that mm. um, 
that they're willing that the government is willing to sort of target these very little offenses of not, yeah or not even offenses but target these really little acts of like free speech in a way yeah i think it's it's both insecurity and it's a very easy way to shut down all dissent mm. because it's it's a really scary thing to hear about and if you're someone who is a little bit outspoken and you hear case after case after case maybe you're going to keep your mouth shut yeah it's something people are concerned about i've i've noticed kind of anecdotally that people are just way less outspoken than that they were in past years this hasn't happened to me but several colleagues have been detained while reporting mm. um, you know not arrested but with local police being very concerned asking a lot of questions what are you doing here do you have a right to be here and there's nothing in Cambodia's laws that says, you know, journalists cannot ask questions, that says journalists can't travel around the country freely. It's not a place where you have to register. It's, it's not like China. In a recent speech to garment workers in Phnom Penh, Hun Sen questioned why anyone would want to change the leader of the country. He said, Cambodia cannot avoid war if a damn party is not punished by dissolution because they would try and take revenge. I mean, you know, Hun Sen has always been kind of inflammatory in a lot of his speeches towards opposition parties and towards the press. <laughs> but now, given the environment that Cambodia is currently in, does his speeches kind of go from sort of sort of him being a strong man in a still functioning democracy, mm-hmm. and then now there's sort of a tinge of coercion? I'd say in this pre-election time, it's it's really sticking to the usual script of, we saved you from the Khmer Rouge. We're the ones who built hospitals and roads. Um, the government has been on a big cash handout. They, Hun Sen's been on this real kind of campaign circuit um, with garment workers, where just almost every week he's out there. He's meeting with garment workers. He's giving speeches and he's passing over envelopes. Of money. Five dollars. <laughs> VOA had a great story this week. Um, where they calculated that they've given out $3.5 million uh, <laughs> to 700,000 garment workers. The government spokesman said, yeah, we did. That's right. It came out of the national budget. <laughs> so they would say this is good governance. This is this shows that we can help the people and that we will help the people. It's always been carrots and sticks with them. I don't think this election is too different among the Cambodians that you know or you've spoken to, like, what's the general sentiments about it, about the situation now? I mean, I think I'm in a unique position. Most of my friends and associates, you know, it's journalists, it's rights workers, it's Mm -hmm. people who care very strongly about these matters. Um, And they're not happy. They would certainly consider it a backsliding. I think there's a lot of concern over what this means for the country um but at the same time it's just sort of more of the same like i don't think anyone really thinks Hun Sen is ever going to step down he certainly says 
been saying for years, I'm here for 10 more years, I'm here for 20 more years, I'm here yeah. for 30 more years. Um, the big question, of course, will be, what will it look like when he dies? What will it look like when the CPP has to do some kind of power transfer? Mm-hmm. And I almost wonder if some of what you see with the party now has more to do with that than the opposition. The theory is that maybe why they're going so strong right now is there's a there's a need to show the party that he's strong, that he's popular, that he um, does have a mandate. I'm going to like come right out and make a bold statement and say that the CPP will probably win the national elections here. I know. <laughs> but yes, I think we can say for certain that the CPP is going to win. I, I, I guess what the usually the interesting things happens after the election. Yeah. And so I'm wondering what you think might happen because last year what happened was there was a dispute to the results for quite a couple of months. Mm. So last time there was this whole movement, right? It, Sam Rainsy had come back, people were already on the streets, there was this campaign period, and when the opposition said afterwards, we're going to boycott our seats, we're not happy with the results, we think there were irregularities, it was very easy to get people to continue going and to have these long protests, um, which were peaceful, um, but kind of government increasingly with violence as, as the months went on. This year, there hasn't been a movement. There haven't been a lot of protests. Um, at 2013, there was a really, I would say, very vibrant protest scene in, in Phnom Penh. And you've seen so much less of that in this past year. Yeah. But I think what could well happen, and which is much sort of scarier and unpredictable, is, you know, how can you put this type of pressure on people before they sort of burst. And the most violent of protests that we saw in in 2013 and 2014, I don't think they were really tied to issues. It was like anywhere in the world, it was angry, kind of un and underemployed young men mm-hmm. who need some kind of outlet. And they haven't been, there's been no sign of them this time around. But like you said, like, I don't know if that, pressure valve is going to be released after the election or what's going to happen. Mm. And there's, you know, Phnom Penh is a city of rumors. There's always these wild rumors floating mm. around. And and it's also possible the CNRP will s- start up some kind of urge to get people on the street again. And if they do that, I do think people still listen to them and heed their call. And... Yeah. So after all the shuttering of all these places, mm-hmm. like the news outlets and NGOs and stuff, you know, some people were saying that, oh, this is sort of a death kill to democracy mm-hmm. in Cambodia. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Is that, should we just write it off? I mean, it's very hard. There's a lot of people who say, well, Cambodia was never really a democracy. And I think there's certainly truth to that. It had the veneer of democracy and democratic institutions, but it does not really behave like a democracy. What I find heartening is, at least now, there, there still are a lot of NGOs and local NGOs operating. Um, they haven't really lost people. They're, they're sticking with them, even though it's a scary moment. I think they're... When you say lost people, you mean lost employees? Or? Yeah, I don't think staff have been fleeing or anything. I, yeah. I think we hear less about them because I, I do think they're being more quiet and more cautious than they have in the past, but they're still working and 
mm-hmm. and doing good stuff. Um, on the media front, I mean, uh, Voice of Democracy is still running on radio and um, Facebook, and um, RFI, the French radio, is running. Mm-hmm. Um, VOA is still being allowed to operate from within Cambodia. Um, and even though the radio stations have shut down, uh, in the if you have AM, you can still access RFA and VOA in, mm-hmm. in the countryside. So I, th- I think there is still a decent free flow of information. Um, but there's also, you know, they are threatening journalists a lot. They've put in all these new rules ahead of the election that mm-hmm. have journalists sort of freaking out about what's okay or not okay to talk with sources about. Um, but as our good friend Rob Carmichael likes to say, the truth will out. You the know, truth and, will out? Yeah, like in this day of social media and Facebook, I think it's it's very hard to, to not have information passing around. Yeah. I think some, so like some of the political analysts, like our good friend Sebastian Strangio, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, has blamed sort of the growing reliance on China, on Chinese money, and sort of uh, move away from Western aid money. What do you think of that? Like, do you think we can put that all on the government's reliance on Chinese money? Is I think it's a bit more complicated. I think there's quite a few factors at play. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing to remember is Western aid is not actually very much right now, and it tends to go directly to recipients, so we'll go directly to NGOs or research institutions. Um, So the government doesn't have much to lose by pushing back on these Western countries, which might be chastising it, because if they cut off the aid, who are they hurting? Their direct recipients, poor people, NGOs, Mm -hmm. sick people. The other thing that I think often gets overlooked or, or not discussed quite so much is the garment sector. The garment sector is, while China does play some of a role as a buyer, uh, it's predominantly Europe and the US. Mm-hmm. Um, that has nothing to do with aid. That is a huge sector of Cambodia's economy. Not just their economy, but their stability because you know historically garment workers have been the ones to push the government to protest, to create problems for the government. Um, and I think that's where if, you know, Western nations wanted to cause some kind of havoc, mm-hmm. they could very easily do it by revoking everything but arms. Um, everything but arms is the EU's... It's a preference, trade preferences, basically. You think that if, if the EU were to actually threaten to revoke that, then it could maybe have an effect on the government saying that, oh, okay, just kidding. I mean, I think the moment for that would have been six months ago, nine months ago, <laughs> this close to the election, I don't know what could happen. But knowing Han Sen, I, I also <laughs> could totally picture them saying, you know what, we're going to let the CNRP back in, we're going to print up new ballots. And, yeah. and then, you know, with regards to China, yeah, they are getting a lot of money and support from China. It's it's given them a lot of support and safety net. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's has a lot to do with changing geopolitical norms. It has to do with Cambodia becoming a more stable, wealthier country. And look, you can see what's happening regionally. If you're Hun Sen, what is the benefit of, of turning your country into a great democracy? 
Mm. No one else is doing it. Everyone is into the strongman these days. Mm. Not just regionally, but you know, globally, there's a real shift towards yeah, shift towards autocratic tendencies. You know, the government is such a kind of complex, tightly woven series of patronage networks right now. I don't even see how you could change change it. And look, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Like, this is not Lao. This is a country where people have had very free access to information for 25 years. You go in the countryside, and if people can access very well-reported, rigorously reported radio, that gives a huge sense of what's happening around the country. And and then that turned into Facebook, and even in really rural areas, they'll have smartphones increasingly and they have the internet and they're seeing what's happening i don't know how you turn off that awareness yeah you can freak people out you can scare them they might get a little more quiet than they used to be but it doesn't mean that in their heart they're not very angry and hurt and upset by what they're saying and i don't know what the end result of that is Thank you so much to Abby Seif. Oh, wait, okay. Abby Seif? Seif. Seif. Okay. Friends with life. <laughs> For taking the time to explain some things to me. Thank you to Kuchneren for helping me to translate part of the Prime Minister's speech and to Dave Boyle for helping with sound. Also, thanks to AsiaWorks for letting me record in their studio. The theme song you heard in the beginning of the episode, that's by Jared Ferry. And playing me out right now is a song I hear a lot in Cambodian parties and in weddings and on a dance floor. It's called Bon Poom by Kameng Kamai. I'm Dean Hern Chen, signing off. Thanks so much for listening to Southeast Asia, etc.